Chronicles, 2 Samuel 12. The rest of the story of David and Bathsheba, which we looked at last week, a year has passed. And uh, David and Bathsheba's affair began, maybe it continued, Uriah has been killed, and they thought they got away with it. Because David knew that nobody but Bathsheba and Joab and those servants knew about it, and they're not going to squeal. But David had not yet repented. We don't always repent immediately. The old timers used to say, have, keep short accounts with God. When you sin, repent of as soon as possible. It says in the book of Revelation, I gave her time to repent of her immorality and she did not repent. We should give people time to repent, plead with them, pray for them. Um, I don't know if anybody was praying for David and Bathsheba to repent. I don't think Joab was. So they were backslidden. And we know what that's like when we treasure a sin and go a while without repenting. And yet, David still went to the temple, still would sing the Psalms, but it lacked something. For months he had ignored his conscience. And we do that. We make deals with our conscience, excuses. But God was silent during this time. That's what God does with us. Remember that verse in Hosea, Ephraim is joined to idols, let them alone. Parents sometimes punish children by saying, you know, go sit in your room, no cell phone, no computer, no radio, no television, just sit there alone with you and God. That's what God did with David and probably also Bathsheba. Because of the heinousness of his multiple sins and the length of his cold heart, God would now have to do something drastic to restore David to fellowship. So God sent Nathan the prophet. And so thank God for preachers and just other Christians that will do what Nathan did. And it was courageous. So what he does is he comes in, he's the court prophet, and he says, David, I, I have something to say. You remember there's another incident where... Um, Joab put him up to tell this little story, and David said, you know, is Joab behind this, Nathan? Well, Joab wasn't behind this. It was God, and so Nathan says, uh, David, we've got a case, and you're the king. You're like the Supreme Court. Um, you need to hear about it. They're not here, but I'm speaking on their behalf. So he tells him a little story, but David thought it was a true story, but it was a parable. Now, we've heard this story before about the little lamb, but let me retell it with some elaboration of what you'd call preacher's licenses. You know, parents take a Bible story and they expand it and they give names to people and stuff like that. Let me tell it so that it might retain some of the original impact when David heard it. And so Nathan says, Your Majesty, here's the case. Once upon a time, well, there's this poor man. And he's widowed because in the story it doesn't mention a wife. And he's lonely and he has a couple of children. And he has a little pet lamb. You know, back then they generally didn't have dogs as pets or cats. It would be like a little lamb. And he had saved it. He didn't have it, you know, raised and then slaughtered. Uh, it was his pet little lamb. And it says it's a ewe lamb, a little female and so this lonely widower would transfer love to it, just like 
You know, some couples that don't have children, they, they'll have a pet and they'll lavish their love upon it. And so this man would do that. And the children, too, probably gave it a nickname. You know, you give names to pets. And so they said, it's white like, like snow. So maybe they nicknamed it Snowball. And the children would pet it and, and feel that it's soft, curly, white wool. Oh, little Snowball can't you see them? Just like children with their pet cat or dog. Petting it, teaching it tricks. And calling out to it and uh, see the little snowball come prancing. And here come, come on snowball. Here come little snowball prancing. And uh, at the end of the day, the father would come home and he'd, he'd sit down and little snowball would jump up on his lap. Just like some of you have a pet dog. It'll, you know, come to you and, you know, just wants a little petting or maybe scratch behind the ears. And so um, it says here in the story that uh, the father would even feed it. Uh, holding it up, or did you ever have a pet dog and he comes to you at the dinner table and puts his legs up on your knee and does like this, and, and you know, you, you give him something to eat. And so the father did that as if it was just one of the family. And the children would play with it. Children like to play with a pet dog. And you've seen where sometimes children will put little clothes on the dog, and the dog just sits there like this. They put a hat. And I imagine they did that with a little, look, it's Snowball. He looks like a little man. And this is what children would do. And it says here that he'd, the man would even take little, the little lamb and sleep with it in his bed, holding it up there. And when I was a boy, we had a little chihuahua. You know where he slept? In bed with my parents at night. And so that's what happens here. So David would listen very closely. He could just picture that family with the little pet lamb named Snowball. The next part of the story is, uh, Nathan said, now, uh, your majesty, a traveler came by and he went over to the next farm over where it was a rich man, not the poor man with the little pet lamb, a rich man, had hundreds, hundreds of sheep, cattle, donkeys, richest man around. And uh, the traveler came there and so the rich man says, we're going to have a party, going to have a banquet. And um, he, was, he didn't want to barbecue one of his own sheep. He dared to go and steal the little pet lamb from the poor man. He sneaked over maybe at night and took it. And, and so then the next day, uh, the children came and, where's Snowball? Snowball! And they went looking for him and the father said, I wonder where he went. Snowball! And they couldn't find him. Maybe they thought, well, maybe he jumped the fence and got away and got lost. So the father says, you children stay here. And he goes looking all around. Snowball. I remember when my sister and her husband lost a dog and they went all around the neighborhood yelling out, you know, and whistling. And so here's the man looking for him. And um, then he goes over to the rich man and um, he says, there's a party going on, so he, he goes up to him. Kind of like a, a poor Mexican, a poor man, you know, takes his hat off and says, you know, uh, oh, senor, you know, I'm just a poor man. We, you know, our little pet lamb got lost. Did it, did it come over here by mistake? And um, he doesn't understand what's happening. And so the rich man knew what was happening. So he says, well... I've heard of you. I think I saw you once. Maybe you worked with my crew once. You know, you, you, you got a little lost lamb. 
Of course, this wicked rich man, you know, knew what the score was. And so he says, oh, you're, you, so let me call the servants. Has anybody seen a little lost lamb? And they all kind of giggle and laugh. And it's like they're making a fool of this poor man that lost the lamb. So it gets worse than that. He says, oh, you, you, want, to, what's that? you want to see Snowball? Okay, and so I'll show you Snowball. And they go around the house where they're having the party and the barbecue. And there, he says, you want Snowball? And there they're barbecuing him on a spit over the fire. And he says, you want Snowball? And everybody dies laughing at the poor man. And the man sees his pet slaughtered and being barbecued and it's like a knife goes through his heart and he can't do anything because they got him outnumbered and then the rich man says get out of here before I sick my dogs on you get out of here the poor man is stunned and he's broken hearted and he's thinking that's not right as he wakes makes his way back home what am I going to say to the children so they ask they says where, where did you find snowball Kids, Snowball's never coming home again. Did he get lost? Well, no. But, um, and one of the children may have said, well, we'll go find him. We'll go over to that farm. I can just see the father stop. No, no, don't ever go to that farm. Stay away from that rich man. He's no good. And I imagine one of the kids said, you know, daddy, you're scaring us. What's wrong? Is Snowball dead? Yes. And they'd all cry and hug each other. And that's the story. And Nathan puts it to David. We're told here that when David hears the story, he couldn't help but think about when he was a shepherd boy. He probably had a pet lamb. How would you react if someone stole your pet and did that to him like in this story? So as he listened, David's hands turned to fists. And you could probably see it on his face. And he exploded in rage. And it says that he swears an oath as if to say, how could anybody be so cruel and heartless? That rich man is wicked and evil. He'll pay for what he did. By the law of Moses, he has to pay back fourfold for that stolen sheep. And David probably thinks, no, that's not enough. Look at the text. He says he deserves to die. He's heartless what he did there. And probably thought, I'd do it with my own hand, hands. Nathan, who is this man? Nathan points at David and said, David, you're the man. You, David, you're the man. Hush fell upon the palace. David probably thought, me? I've never stolen anybody's pet lamb. I would never do that. And then his conscience whispers, Bathsheba, Bathsheba is the lamb that you stole. Maybe he would have thought, but I didn't kill Bathsheba. But his conscience would then whisper, Uriah, you had Moriah murdered. And then it echoes over and over in his conscience. You are the man, you are the man, you are the man. And David had been righteously angry at that man that stole and killed a lamb. And now he realizes God Almighty was far more angry at David 
for stealing Bathsheba and murdering her husband, Uriah. And it hits David hard. Has that ever happened to you where something somebody says or does and it just hits you? You almost fall down. You almost faint. It hit David hard like a sword. And he begins to say, what have I done? What have I done? All that hardness that accumulated over the last year now is broken. It's shattered. He's a man after God's own heart, and now his heart is filled with conviction. Remember another occasion when Saul was chasing him and he cut off part of Saul's robe. It says, David's heart smote him. That's the old King James language. For it struck him hard like a sledgehammer. It is now, and David is feeling, you know, his heart smites him. Shame, guilt, no excuses. How did David know about David and Bathsheba and Uriah? Not from Joab, but from God. God sent Nathan. He was a true man of God, bold and honest. He, he didn't, you know, powder it up and say, well, you know, David, you know, maybe, maybe Bathsheba's default. She went after you or something. No, he just went, he went and spoke God's word. We need Christians that have the courage of Nathan. We need to be Christians that fear God more than man. Uh, Nathan could have been executed. That was the king. King could have said, how dare you talk to me like that? Someone come in with a sword. Joab, you're, you're bloodthirsty. Take his head off. But he was brave. Like Paul in Galatians 1, he says, do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. We need preachers like Nathan too and there are very few of them around that will preach hard messages like I did this morning or will speak out on certain issues. We need to listen to certain preachers like that and thank God for them, pray for them. So look at Nathan's explanation. It says that he reminded David that God had protected David from Saul when Saul tried to come. David, don't you remember Saul was out, we was chasing you for seven years and God protected you all that time. He protected you from Goliath. Then he really makes David humble. David, don't you remember, you were a little shepherd boy once. Even your older brothers didn't think much of you, but God made you king over his people. And now you're wealthy and you have many wives. Just like in the story, this rich man had many sheep David, you had many wives and you went after that one that Uriah treasured like, like little snowball and you went after her and stole, you stole another man's wife. And you have taken all this for granted, forgot how God has protected you, made you king, wealthy and all of this. And then it says, you have despised the commandment of the Lord, David. That's what sin is and that's what sin does where we... Click off our conscience. We despise God's law. I don't want to hear about it. God, just let me get, do this sin. To despise God's law is to despise God who gives us his law. Sin puts ourselves first, like sexual lust, personal desire, greed. We're more interested in our happiness than God's holiness. Then it says here, Nathan charged David with murdering Uriah by means of the enemies of God's people, the Ammonites, just like when the Jews turned Jesus over to their enemies, the Romans, that added insult to injury. 
And though David did it through others, he, he couldn't say, well, it wasn't me. Nathan, it wasn't me. It was those Ammonites. You know, someone will die in war. In fact, that's what um, Joab said. Well, someone, you know, in every war, someone's going to die. But no, Nathan said, don't offer that excuse to me. David, you did it. You set this up. David, you stole another man's wife. You not only did the deed, you had the man killed and you stole and you married her. But Uriah had prized. This was, this was Uriah's bride that he loved. And he was a good old Uriah. And he loved Bathsheba far more than that man in the story loved little Snowball the lamb. In the story, the little lamb was the only thing of value to the poor man. And for Uriah, Bathsheba was worth everything to him. And he probably wasn't a wealthy man. He was just a soldier. But you stole Bathsheba from Uriah like that man in the story stole little snowball. David, aren't you ashamed? David was deeply upset about the parable. And then more so when he realized, I am the man. I've done worse than that man in the story. You know, people would be in tears hearing this story about little snowball. Would we be in tears hearing about someone stealing someone's wife and killing the husband? No, they glorify it on television, in the movies, and in the novels, those dirty, filthy novels that women like to read. And then you, get, you see the soap operas on television. It's all over the place, like a backed-up sewer. But people will glorify it, and they won't have feelings for sins and crimes against humans unless it's them. Just think about it. Think what the deals people do to justify abortion. You know, the, the Supreme Court's about to issue a ruling, and I've been seeing things in the paper and online, some of the feminists showing how hardened their conscience are. They're standing outside the Supreme Court holding signs saying, abortion is safe health care. Safe health care is murdering babies. The Bible says without natural affection. It's the same sort of people that'll march and protest against the killing of certain animals. You know, chickens that are raised in a cage all their life and they'll protest and say animal rights for chickens and then, you know, save the whales and so forth. And Jesus talked about the Pharisees that are more concerned about a man's donkey falling into the ditch than they are about a man that's crippled up that Jesus is healing. They're valuing animals more than human beings and a lot of people do that. Wealthy people will leave millions of dollars to their pet cat and let people in Africa starve to death. They don't see themselves in this story. They are the man. They are the woman. And so they condemn in others what they themselves are guilty of and don't realize it. Nathan was, as it were, the prosecutor, as if he says, in the name of the living God, I charge you, David, with adultery, murder, grand theft, lying, and cover-up. Remember, David had covered this up for a whole year. What brought President Nixon down? The cover-up, not the original crime. He covered it up when it was uncovered. Uh-oh. And so Nathan was the prosecutor on behalf of God, and he pronounces the verdict. Guilty, David. You're guilty, guilty, guilty on all charges. And then he pronounced God's punishment. And I imagine David, is God going to kill me? What's going to happen? What are the repercussions? And so Nathan says, the sword will slay people in your own house, David. 
Now, here's something interesting. You'd have to know your Bible. Remember, David says he has to pay back fourfold. He was thinking of God's law, Exodus 22.1. Quote, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he will restore four sheep for a sheep that's been stolen. Okay, David stole a man's wife. How do you pay that back? You keep reading the rest of the book. Four of David's sons would die. That's how it's paid back. You killed Uriah, four of your family will die. The first one would be the baby born of adultery with Bathsheba. And then Amnon, you remember his uh, affair with his half-sister. And then Absalom, how he was killed by Joab. And then Adonijah, fourfold, paid back. Plus, the immorality now comes back. There's fornication, rape, incest, and adultery in his very own family. Remember a couple of years ago I preached on that verse about the sins of the fathers being visited upon the sons. And that's what would happen here. Unless immorality is repented of, it gets passed on down and there will be repercussions to relationships and other such things. And David is learning the lesson the hard way. That was the verdict God through Nathan pronounced. And it echoes today in human relationships. Notice in the text the word However, thank God for the however. It's just like maybe you've heard Martin Lloyd-Jones' famous sermon, But God, and he says, you know, for minutes and minutes and minutes, he says, we're sinners, we deserve this. But God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Same thing with however, the tone changes. He says, however, there are consequences. However, there's something else. How does David respond? He says, I've sinned against the Lord. Notice he doesn't offer excuses. He didn't play the blame game like Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. They all blamed God. We do that. David didn't say, I'm just a man. If, if Bathsheba had kept the curtains closed, I wouldn't have been tempted and done this. Blame her, not me, Nathan. He wouldn't have got two seconds without excuse with a man like Nathan. We need to take responsibility for our sins and say like David, I have sinned. I just did a gesture you see Jews at the wailing wall do. They pound their chests as if to say, I am guilty. I can't blame anybody else. We confess our sins and repent without excuse. No mitigating circumstances. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord, not just against Uriah and Bathsheba. He sinned against them. But as he says in his prayer of repentance, Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Ultimately, all sins are against God. David had sinned greatly, now he repents greatly. Nathan's response is, here's the however. Though you will suffer certain consequences, David, you will not die. Unlike the verdict that David had pronounced upon the rich man in the story, that man deserves to die. I'm sure David's, uh, Nathan said, you deserve to die, but God will spare you. God was showing grace to David. And that's an important lesson for us when we feel the conviction of our sins, even as Christians, we don't plead for justice with God. We submit to chastening and say, Lord, have, have mercy on me. Have grace, please forgive me. 
I have no excuse. I just appeal to your grace. Then Nathan says, your sins have caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. David, do you think nobody knows about this? It's going to get out, the whisperers. It's going to spread. People in this very courtroom, David, the court reporters, the scribes, you think they're going to be quiet about this? They're going to go home and tell their wives. It's going to gossip everywhere. And then the enemies, the Ammonites, Philistines, they're going to hear about it. And they're going to blaspheme God, not just make fun of you. They're going to say, hi, David, man after God's own heart. <laughs> they're going to say he calls himself a Christian. You know, there are people in the world today that will see a Christian lose his temper, cuss, or do something like that. And they'll say, you call yourself a Christian. And they'll say, smugly say, well, all Christians are just simply hypocrites. Josh, you ever hear that from hecklers? I have. Ah, I knew a preacher and he did this. Or I, I worked with a Christian and he, he, he got mad and cursed once. Oh, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And Nathan says, that's what's going to happen. And that's what happens when we sin. We should... Repent before God and go and apologize to people that witnessed our sin, especially if we sinned against them. Uriah is dead, but I'm sure David and Bath... I wonder what Bathsheba thought all this time. We're going to pick up on that later. When we sin great sins, unbelievers may see that and reject the gospel and blaspheme God. A godly life should accompany a godly gospel. Lastly, here's that, however, Nathan said, the Lord also has put away your sin. That's grace. That's forgiveness. He's put it away. Uh, in the end of the book of Mike, it says he has cast all our sins into the bottom of the sea. He's drowned them. David may have been thinking about this in, when he wrote Psalm 103, 12, quote, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. One lesson for us is if God could forgive David of his many gross sins here, then God can forgive anyone, including us, no matter what it is. Adultery, lying, stealing, murder. Remember I said, we could do what David did. We could never say, I'd never do what David did. David was a great godly man, but if David could fall, so could we. But let us remember God is a God of mercy. Here are three lessons we can learn as we conclude. Number one, let us see ourselves in David's place as he saw himself in the place of the parable when Nathan said, you are the man in the story, David. I'm not talking about some farmer out there. This is a parable. David, you're the man that stole the baby lamb. You see, the events, uh, the events in the Bible are recorded so that we can identify with them and say, that's me. I've done that sort of a thing. I've heard more than one woman say, I am the woman at the well. I was just like that. David reacted to the story of the man. He identified with that, but he identified with the wrong man. He identified with the, the lamb's owner. He should have identified with the lamb's murderer. And that's what Nathan said. We need to identify with David. Even if we haven't committed the same sins, we have committed other sins. We need to repent like David did. Number two, God convicted David of his sin before he forgave him. Nathan said, you are the man before he said, the Lord has put away your sins. There's a, 
Important lesson in that. Conviction has to precede conversion. It's the birth pangs before regeneration. And the same thing in the life of a Christian. God will convict us, touch our conscience, remind us of our sins before he says, I put away your sin. The lost sinner needs to feel the weight and the guilt of his sin. Otherwise, he won't see any value in salvation. And then when he realizes he's lost, doomed, going to hell... You know, I was thinking this morning, I preached with considerable heat, but some people, maybe you've heard the old phrase, Brother Vic, you've probably heard it in preacher circles. If you can't make them see the light, at least make them feel the heat. And I'd say if they can't feel the heat, at least make them smell the brimstone. And then they'll begin to realize, I'm going, I'm going to hell, I'm lost, I might die in my sleep tonight. Then and only then, like when David was convicted, will people appreciate the sweet words the Lord puts away your sin. Lastly, number three, there's another lamb in the Bible that was stolen and killed. A true story. Someone had a beloved lamb named Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And people stole him from God and they killed him. The Jews, the Romans, remember, on Good Friday, I preached on who killed Jesus. What just the Jews, Romans, Pilate, us. We're also sharing that guilt. We need to repent of stealing God's lamb and killing him. And when we repent of that, we'll appreciate the glorious words, the Lord has put away your sins. It's a powerful chapter, isn't it? I wonder how parents will teach your children this story. You fathers, you mothers, tell this story to your children in such a way that it will touch their little tender hearts. Let's pray. Father, just like Nathan said, you are the man. We look at David and say, I am the man, I am David. And perhaps others will say, I am Bathsheba. Father, we confess our sins without excuse, without blaming others. And we claim your promise that you will forgive our sins. Your wonderful promise, if we confess our sins, the Lord is just and faithful to forgive us our sins. Thank you that you are a God of conviction, but also of grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.